teaching them that the vulnerability is the real power. Because like I said before, leadership's not about you. Like there is leadership through direct authority out of fear, right? It's not really leadership. That's called compliance. Hey, Sheree, how's it going? It's good. I'm super excited about our show today and our guest today because it's someone that you know especially well and that I've had the chance to get to know. Um, So having her on the show is just like super exciting. And I know our audience listening is like really in for a treat. So maybe you can share a little more about the badassery that's coming on the show. So much badassery is coming on the show because we have Karina Bernacki, who is, I don't even know what it's going to be about, but I know it's going to be major because Karina is one of those people that I have gone to time and time again when things get very real to help me sort through them. And she's just one of the best at it. And this is because Karina works with the humans. She cares deeply about the humans and she does everything from organizational change and transformation and change management within companies to coaching founders and leaders. She has run her own consultancy working with founders and leaders and teams. Um, She's also like super technical and was the interim VP Eng at Visco and does like a ton of thinking and working with teams to figure out how to like make their uh, engineering practices a lot more effective. And she also specialized in remote teams before they were even like a thing that happened. Mm -hmm. So she's just one of those people that like has worn so many different hats um, from like working at I think like Aritzia to McKinsey to JP Morgan. She was in the military. Uh, We both met when she was at Twitter. And then after that, I hired her uh, when I was running trash. Um, I hired her consultancy Unraveled and um, then brought her on full time. I somehow managed to convince her to join. I I still don't know how I managed to pull that off, Karina, (laughs) but it was probably one of the best moves I was able to make. And then we worked together after the acquisition at Visco together, where she is now the VP of people. Um, And so with that wild many lives intro, we want to bring on today's guest, Karina Bernacki, to talk about the many lives that she has lived. Welcome, Karina. It is so wonderful to have you on the show today. We can't wait to hear from you about your real moment. Please tell us. So uh, this is very fresh and pretty pretty recent. Um, So I just recently had a really close friend and even would say like started out as a professional relationship and became a very personal relationship passed suddenly, um, mm-hmm. died in a plane crash, just a couple years older than me. So at the moment when it first happened, you know, you don't think it's real. You're like, first of all, it's like not real. Um, yeah. we had just reconnected. He had reached out on my birthday because he got a new job. He was excited about and was going to be in New York a lot. And we had put a calendar date for lunch uh, for July, where we were, you know, mm. going to catch up and tell each other all of the things. And yeah. to have this happen, and you're just like, wait a minute, no, I just, just talked to him. Like, that didn't happen. This isn't real. You know, 
he's so young, this can't be a thing. That then spirals into this whole other conversation that I started having with myself. And just for context, this, this person is just so much more than a friend. So when I think about my career and where I am today, he had a huge part in opening the doors that allowed me to step into this space, um, as well as introducing me to some of the people that inspired me to be on this path, to think about how to unlock potential in other people. And he's just someone who did that for a lot of people, just because, you know, not because he was getting something out of it, right? And I think a lot of us that had him in our life felt like he really did sort of like open space and make room for so many others. So as I'm reflecting on my career and where I am right now and what's going to come next for me, this happens and it just changes the frame. The entire movie now feels incredibly different of realizing that nothing is promised. Time is not something that you, you know, can control. And every decision you make where you think, oh, I can, I can do that in the future. This is yeah. not for me now. This is for later. I need to wait for this thing, this thing that we're always waiting for, for whatever reason. All of that seems like bullshit now. It just all seems like just this, these things in my head that like, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So why not now? Why not me? Why not this moment? Um, so I'm trying to take this real moment that is raw and still hurts in a lot of ways. Like even now I can feel myself just, it's like you kind of go back there again um, and turn it into something that, that he would, that he would be even like excited to see, to like use that for motivation, to wake myself up, to like realize the status quo is just not chill. And it's time to like take those bold moves because you don't know what's going to happen next. And so I'm, leaning into that pretty hard, but it's definitely been some really deep conversations and a lot of reflection, <laughs> I would say. Um, but, you know, I'm grateful if something like that has to happen to try to turn it into something that is, the, you know, motivating, feels like something comes from it, I guess. So that is my current get real, my very, very real moment. It's very raw. Just thank you for being vulnerable and sharing um, with us um, and with our listeners. I just think when you're grieving, it is such a kindness to even be present with like how you're processing and, and, and what you're trying to do with something that's so shocking and so hard and so difficult to process in real time, especially when the person's so close to you. So I just want to say thank you for, just sharing with us in this space. Um, it was very much felt like the impact that this person has had on you. Um, so thank you, Pema. Pema Shadrone is a, I don't know if you know her, she's like a, a Buddhist monk and writer. And she has this book and one of my favorite lines, something that I come back to all the time is that we say we fear death, but the truth is we don't fear death enough. That just like came wow. to mind when you said that and when you were talking about just like being your age and like just talking to the person, like could be in five minutes, it can be in 50 years. Seriously. And we don't really live like that. We live like we think like we have a long time. Yes, we do. I love like uh, all the plans that we make for when we get to this thing, like we have these like milestones in our head, and, but this has to happen first before we can do this. When I get here, then I can do this. It's just, you know, it's a it's a bit of a 
bit of a frame of lies that we sort of have in our head mm-hmm. for reasons, you know, maybe they keep us safe. Maybe we need those. I'm not, you know, not, not yeah. saying those aren't sometimes really necessary, but um, just worthwhile to pause and challenge a lot of these, uh, these conversations we have with ourselves. It's really interesting because I only just recently deleted the calendar invite. And I think that was the, um, the disbelief, you know, like that denial kind of piece where you're like, well, as long as I still have that calendar invite, this is, this didn't actually happen, right? This isn't real. Yeah. And then after his um, memorial, then I was like, this is the moment, like, this is it. And after that deletion, like once I removed that, and so that that part was done, the, the heaviest part of the grieving felt, grieving felt like it was complete. It, that's when it really started unlocking this second conversation with myself about, okay, so now what? Do we just carry on and pretend like this didn't happen and go right back into all the things and doing things exactly the same? And that, so that for me, I think was a really interesting moment that something as simple as the calendar invite created this whole other, um, just this whole other phase of grieving, but in a more positive sort of forward thinking um, manner. So, yeah. One of the things you said, Karina, was that this moment changed the frame for you use this phrase, like change the frame. And and I know in your work of coaching and guiding leaders and just creating people who are more fully supplanted in their lives in an authentic way, half of the battle, at least for myself as someone who struggled a lot and has been thankful to have, you know, coaches along the way, the frame is often like the first step in actualizing or realizing change or even like understanding like your perspective, like the frame is everything. And so I'm curious in this moment, how has that change shifted? And like, what are you listening to in yourself to kind of understand what the frame was versus like what you want it to be or what it should be? Yeah. I, um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the coaching work that I do with leaders is never really, it's never about me having the solution, right? It's always about finding the right question to mm-hmm. get, you know, to get them to find it within themselves because they've got the answer, right? Humans have infinite potential, right? Which is just locked behind a bunch of stuff like for, you know, childhood, whatever, all the things that happen inside of our brain. And when you're reflecting on it yourself, very difficult to coach yourself. I will just say that like every coach needs a coach. Um, because you have the same things, the same things happen to me. I have a million voices. I have a committee inside of my head and it's a very opinionated committee and has like a lot of things it wants to tell me all the time. Um, and for me to create my own frame, it's like, I have to almost step outside of myself and figure out like, what are the questions I'm not asking right now? What are the voices that are worth listening to and which ones are not? And I realized that I needed help. Like, it it was like, I can't do this by myself. And so I reached out to a coach who was actually somebody who also knew this individual and we got connected because of them. And she is also an amazing coach, just like phenomenal. And I was like, as a coach, I need a coach. I need a new, I I need a new frame. I'm missing like what's happening. Can you help me? And so I think that was also a little bit a moment of vulnerability of realizing that I couldn't figure it out myself and I actually needed help to turn Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really like back to that humility um, that I think is the like core characteristic of somebody who is actually a leader. Because leadership mm-hmm. really isn't about you. It's just not. 
It's about the the people that are willing to follow you, right? It is all about them. And as long as you have that humility to know that you don't know all the things um, and that you need help and you need others in order to be successful, I think that's how you can get forward, right? So that that's what I had to lean into. I had this like moment of my own humility of, I actually need help. I need somebody to ask me the right questions. And it was really interesting because the first conversation that ended up coming up, which was surprising to me because it's not at all what I would have expected, was along the lines of that sort of imposter syndrome, that that person on my committee, you know, everyone knows that person, right? We all have that person. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and we started sort of unraveling all of these excuses that I had built up. Um, that, that my friend, my, my imposter friend had convinced me of the reasons why not, why not, why not me, why not now, all these things. And as I reflected on that more, I thought, well, what if I change this frame? What if this person stops being the most annoying person in my head? What if they become my friend? Mm-hmm. What if I start thinking about this voice as, oh, this is just a voice that's reminding me to stay humble, to ask questions, to be curious that, okay, maybe I don't have it all figured out, but that doesn't mean that I can't step into this space. That means I can't step into this room. It just means I should be humble about it. Mm-hmm. I should make sure that I'm not just trying to like bulldoze into to things or run down or run over people, be overly confident, right? You can be confident and still be humble. Those two things yeah. exist. Mm-hmm. And so as I started shifting that frame and kind of making this person that annoying friend that says the things that kind of like get you a little frustrated, but at the end of the day, and then end up waking something up inside of you. I'm like, okay, so now we're not enemies anymore. We can play together. Um, It allowed me to kind of then rethink all of those excuses and stories and things that I had told myself and look at them differently um, and and just ask some of those bigger questions. So it's very interesting going through this as somebody who coaches a lot of leaders through this exact kind of process. Now being on the other side of it, it was just also a very real moment because it's scary and it's a good reminder that um, vulnerability is when you find the best, like the best answers, the best mm-hmm. questions, the, the best of yourself. It's like you got to go deep. So vulnerability yes, is <laughs> truly the birthplace of creativity if you let it. Love that. Yes. I want to just take a minute, Karina, to say like how incredible it is that you have someone to go to that also knew this person and just like take a minute to like recognize what a huge act that is too. like to go from something so mm, digital and daily like a calendar invite to like actually I'm gonna reach out that's huge the other thing you were talking about just now that I think will really resonate with our listeners and definitely resonated with me is this, this idea that we all have a committee within our heads and to make friends with the committee. It reminds me a lot of the, uh, the practice of like making friends with your inner children parts as opposed to fighting them. And I was curious if you could talk a little bit more about your process for making friends with this, with this inner critic. Yes. Um, this will be maybe one of the sillier, um, useful, but sillier things that I, that I do. Um, I, I like to write. I write a lot. I don't necessarily write for others. I write for myself. I was that kid with a journal, you know, like stacks of like, dear diary today at school, you know, <laughs> been journaling forever. Um, and so when I work through a lot of things, I tend to do it through writing. But when I'm dealing with my committee, 
I like to just kind of be them. Uh, I like to embody them a bit. And some of this probably comes from my theater days, you know, I was like a theater kid or I like to act. And so it, it just kind of helps to put that, put that persona on and then write as if I'm them. So take that voice that's inside Ah. of my head, externalize it to be outside of me and to this character. Um, and I, I will write from their perspective as if I am the one now embodying this voice and talking it through and engage in a conversation in writing. It becomes a little silly sometimes. Usually once I get to the part where I'm making myself laugh, I'm like, OK, I think I've gotten to a good stage. It can be very emotional. Um, I tend to once you get into flow with it, really interesting things start to happen. If you just start typing, you're not thinking about grammar or anything. You just, just flow. Um, you start to find yourself going into deeper parts of conversations that you didn't even expect. And you're like, Whoa, where did that come from? Like, okay, this is, this is touching something. Mm. And then I try to, towards the end, kind of get it to this place, this handshake moment, basically this sort of like, um, sometimes it's a disagree and commit moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we're just, we're not going any, we're not going further than this. Um, and other times it's like a, let's, let's hug it out. Um, mm. I see you now. I now understand. I can empathize now where this voice is coming from. I understand more about the roots of why um, and the projection that's happening onto onto me. And mm-hmm. and it's lost its power. It just it's it's not. You know what I mean? It, it it like it takes the power away from it and just makes it more part of me again. So it's just again. I know I'm this curious. Becomes- I'm a person who. One of the one of the greatest things I got from the first executive coach that I worked with was that I likely have ADHD, and she told me that. And then um, I talked to my therapist about it, and my therapist goes, "Well, sometimes people with trauma have symptoms that look like ADHD." Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. on the one hand, that was comforting. On the other hand, I realized it was like I was more comfortable with the idea that how certain things that show up in my behavior and my interpersonal relationships were associated with trauma than I was with the idea that I had ADHD. Oh, interesting. Like it was such a it was such a crazy thing. But I think as I'm hearing you talk about like the questions you're asking yourself, the pauses you're taking as you process, the thing I thought for myself is like, wow, like how beautiful is it that she can find the space between to actually have that conversation? Because for me, like when I was having this moment with my executive coach, one of the things I was saying to her was like, you are assuming that I have that space between. And so I'm curious if there are, is it either a result of your sort of lifetime learning and growing and development, or is there something you've been able to do or some some moments you've been able to create for like maybe listeners like me who are still trying to like find that space between, like how do you find that space to look at yourself and to be able to say, Oh, you know, this is this character that's inside of me. So uh, I had a, like millions of everyone in the world, I had shitty childhood. So, I mean, you know, uh, lots of good and, and bad, right. All mixed in a lot of trauma. There was a lot of trauma. So as I started like kind of coming into my own life, um, especially like once I got pregnant with my son, I felt like I had some decisions to make that I could let this trauma run me 
I could let it be the definition of me and the decisions in my life, right? I basically let it continue to have all of this power or I can figure out how to take my own power back and use it for something. Um, and having that conversation, to be honest, was a survival moment because it was really running me and it was running me down. I mean, it was, I was finding it everywhere. I didn't even know who I was like showing up and having this reaction to things. You're like, Whoa, where, where, the, where the hell did that just come from? And I, you know, and I just becoming a parent, I'm like, well, hold on. Like, am I going to push is this going to be his legacy? Am I going to be putting this on him? You know, I'm like, what is it? Right. I mean, <laughs> I feel attacked, Karina. I feel attacked. I'm just that, you know, it was like, that's like a real, that's a survival moment. Right. And it was a decision and it was not an easy one to make. And that was when I first started reaching out for real help. So before that, I think it didn't, it wasn't really accessible. Therapy wasn't a thing. Growing, we didn't have any money. That wasn't like, so it, it was a moment where I had to make that choice and it set me upon a path to start learning about myself, right? Trying to find different spiritual practices and just just knowing that I didn't want that. And so in the not wanting it and the being like, that is not going to be me. I stopped being a victim and I started becoming in control. Um, and that, you know, that led one thing to the next, right? You just keep learning like new ways, new techniques, new tools, new things to solidify that power, to not slip back, to not go backwards, to make that space a priority. I was really bad at it at first. So just to be clear, like I am older, uh, love, love being in my forties, by the way, like I got no more fucks to give and it's amazing. It's like my best, like my best years right now. So I had to work through it. I wasn't great at it at first. I made a lot of mistakes. Actually, I have this book here now, nonviolent communication. I was recommending it to a client the other day. Mm, reading books book. like that, right? Yes. To, to reframe, reframe oh, language. I need to read right? this. Definitely. Like everyone should. It's literally the way that we think about language and how it impacts us is it is incredibly powerful. And yeah, so so for me, it is a journey, but it was a choice. It was a journey I chose to make. Yeah. And I'm grateful like every day because I I think my life could have looked really different. Wow. I'm listening to you and my role per, post startup is head of community at uh, Flybridge, which is a VC, uh, New York, Boston. Um, and one of the things that's been interesting, especially as a person who, you know, looks at personal growth through like a spiritual lens, through a psychological lens, like who really think, who really learned as a founder how important like my own mental state was, how important me being anchored or not. You know, I saw the impacts of that on my business. And so, you know, it's been interesting for me having been in v venture for a year now and hearing words like community thrown around, seeing different expressions of that, like some completely far from anything I think of as community and some like stumbling to get it right. Um, and what I've found interesting is like, you're dealing with like ambitious people when you're in the tech world, when you're dealing with founders and CEOs and, a lot of us have bought into the idea that like that ambition can't come with vulnerability showing that, that, you know, I'm ambitious and I want to go to the top. A lot of people have internalized that that means if you're, if you're struggling with trauma or if you're dealing with, you know, you know, your brain doesn't work the same as everyone else, or if you're just dealing with shit in your life, a lot of those folks are not 
having the conversations you you've been talking about. They're not they're not taking that moment for themselves. They're not recognizing that like this is actually the most important thing. Yes. And so I'm just curious, you you've been at Twitter, you've been at Visco, now you have your own company like you've been in the thick of it with these very people. What has that been like for you trying to sort of unlock them? Well, I love this cuz I actually think this is probably core to what the difference the difference that makes a difference in the way that I approach things. Um, because uh, I thought that this was the most fun part, which I think other people might think is insane because yes, in, in tech, in every industry, egos are high. And to a large degree, that's what's expected because of the systems that have been built. They've been built to incentivize um, that sort of like that outward charisma, right? The, the, the overly confident, right? They're all kind of set up to, to incentivize that. So it's what they think is expected. Um, and those are the ones that tend to have the most fear um, is what you end up finding out. Like the more you dig in with them, the biggest voices sometimes in that room, the most confident are the most terrified of everything around them all the time. And it's leading from a place of fragility. And these folks are the ones that need to embrace it the most. And those conversations are always hard. When I first meet a client that is in that space, I don't come in and like say, hey, I can see you're really afraid of everything and you're really acting out right now. So let's talk about being vulnerable. <laughs> That's not going to work. That's not the way <laughs> I would get kicked out the door and, you know, like laugh, laughed out of the room for sure. <laughs> so a lot of times when I'm working with these folks, the first thing I have to do is build that trust and understand like, where is that fear? What motivates them? Where is this coming from? So in the same way that I did for myself, it's that initial exploration with that person of being able to understand that. Because if I can understand that, then I can be a real partner for them. I can help them to be able to see it for themselves, take their power back, unlock that, right? And then start unlocking the potential of everybody around them. Because some of these visionaries, these leaders, they can't do it alone. And if they don't figure this out, these beautiful, brilliant ideas they have will never make it. We will never have these things that could make the world so much better because they won't be able to figure out how to multiply others to make it mm. true, mm. you know? So I think the work is my favorite because it is the hardest, but the biggest impacts, right? The most significant impacts is who mm. knows what that person is going to do as they go forward and how many other people they're going to impact. And that's how you change the world at one conversation at a time. So, yes. Yeah, so I, I will tell you like, um, the question game, when I first start, if it's a client that's never worked with a coach, they always think everything's a trap. Like the very first time, every question you ask, they're like, what does she want? It's like they're trying to figure out what should I say? Mm -hmm. How, is she, how is, she, is she diagnosing me right now? You know, so that first conversation is always enjoyable for me, but it's not that useful. Mm -hmm. It basically kind of like is the setting the stage. Anything they say to me in that conversation, I kind of take with a grain of salt. I make a couple notes, but I'm like, I'll get to know the real them. Let me just give it like another go or two. Um, but what I do try very hard to do is not talk. I speak very little in these first few meetings. I pull one thread and I just let them go. And as they start to go, find that thing to put back in front of them. And then they start to drive their own conversation pretty quickly. It's a little bit like magic. Sounds like magic as I say it out loud. It's actually really effective and anybody can do this, by the way. I tell people all the time, my biggest advice for them in life, 
say less. Say less. If you say less, you listen more and you have a way better shot at having a real conversation and not a bullshit one that's sitting at the surface. Hmm. So I think that's something that's really important in the beginning. And as they start to say things, you start to find, you can find the fears. You can hear where they're talking about things like too much or maybe um, over-dramatizing certain situations. You can like, oh, there's something interesting going on here, right? Uh, the projection that you can hear, um, blame. Mm. If you're hearing them use a lot of blame language, right? It kind of helps me narrow in on what some of those insecurities are. And once we go through the process, with, especially with clients, I start to shift them to then thinking, okay, now, now think about this journey you and I just had. Think about all the people you're leading. What kind of conversations are you having with them? You got vulnerable with me and look what just happened. Mm. Mm. Look how you're thinking now. Look at how you're feeling now. That's power. And vulnerability is power. Do you think that the humans around you also maybe don't have some of these fears and insecurities? Like you think they have it all figured out? <laughs> so you're human. They're human. Look at them differently. Listen differently. Say less with them. Understand. Mm. Share your moment. You see a moment there that resonates? Share. Make it comfortable for them to share. Share first. Mm. Right? Like, it's teaching them that the vulnerability is the real power. Because like I said before, leadership's not about you. Like there is leadership through direct authority out of fear, right? It's not really leadership. That's called compliance. <laughs> wow. Wow. Right. 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 <laughs> so I don't know. I, I think if you want people to actually follow you, then you got to be in it with them. And that means mm -hmm. you got to get vulnerable and you got to get real because like if they, if you put yourself up on a pedestal, you're going to fall and no one's going to be there at the bottom. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Karina, uh, I would love to flip the conversation slightly and learn a little bit more about how you unleash potential with the people who are maybe not the leaders, not the A players, not those that are running companies, not those that are at the top of their game. The reason I wanted to ask this is I remember you recommended a fantastic book to me a while back, um, Unleashed, I think it's called, about like unleashing the potential of others. And when you recommended it to me, I remember you saying, you know, I actually get the most like gratification, something like this, I'm paraphrasing, from coaching the ones that are like the overlooked, the people who maybe are not doing their jobs well, the people who are seen as like, the underperformers, I suppose, and, and helping them really figure it out. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about those people, because I think when we think about coaching, we always think about the founders and the CEOs and the C-suite and like the, all of these people that are at the top of their game. And I'd love to hear about the other side of it. Absolutely. As humans, we love to judge. Gosh, we love to judge so much. We love to jump to conclusions uh, we love to interpret signals because we think we're so good at predicting human behavior, the arrogance of that that, that statement as it comes out of my mouth. Um, and this is something that happens to individuals in work, right, every single day. Um, and if they don't have the power, they don't have the skills, if they don't know, then they end up in this spot that they can never really get out of. And now all the potential that is sitting within that individual is just missed, right? The world doesn't get it. The teams don't get it that they don't get it. 
And it just gets overlooked because, you know, it's so much easier to just write someone off. Oh, this person is like, you know, they don't seem like they're making good eye contact. They seem like they're fishing. They don't speak up in meetings. They're not doing X, Y, Z. They're not a good performer. We should just fire them. You know, we get somebody else. Let's just swap out the pieces, right? Like Mm. just, yeah, get someone else. It'll solve everything. That is the easy thing to do. That's the lazy thing to do. Because the reality is, is that person that you're talking about that's on the other side there, they have a ton of potential and you as a leader have just not figured out how to unlock it, right? You you are just taking the easy route. Um, and by really leaning into these folks that have maybe never had somebody pay attention to them or ask them the question or allow them, maybe they're like, maybe they're a little toxic, maybe they're kind of a jerk, right? And But people don't really ever give them candid feedback. They just kind of let them run all over people. Like those are the people that need it the most and they're crying out that nobody is listening. And if you really spend more of your time focusing on them, that reward is, uh, it's, it's magnet, it's magnified because they will then go do that for others. That one moment, that moment of being able to be seen, be heard, have somebody ask you the right question at the right moment to feel seen by somebody, mm. that person will lean in so hard. They will give so much. They will, they will work, they will do work on themselves. They will find a way, they will be forever appreciative because somebody took the moment to give a crap, right? To actually listen, to have them be seen. And those kind of stories, like you want to fill the world with them because that's the majority. Somebody did that for me. Like I was one of those people. Somebody did that for me. Now look look at my life. It's completely different. It would have been very easy for me to have been that person in the corner, like, you know, being kind of like passed over. I had a leader who was paying attention, who was able to like reach out and connect with me and like challenge. It's just like the committee, right? It's just, we all have this, like, what are those things that are holding you back? Yeah. So yeah, you can do the easy work and you can just like keep swapping people out, only hire people that you know how to communicate with, only hire people that kind of are like you and, you know, show up the way that you want, because that's easy. It's easy. Sure. That is a way. Absolutely. You can choose that approach. That's one way. Yeah. Or you can take this other path and you can look at everyone around you and say, everybody here has something significant to offer. Maybe I just don't know what it is yet. Maybe they don't know what it is yet. So the real work in front of me is figuring that out and then help connecting everybody to the right work at the right moment to unlock that within themselves and then just sit back and let them run. It's just so much better feels so much better, right? Uh, it's just not about me. It's about them. Um, so yeah, I, I love that book, Hannah. I recommend it to everybody because it does really put that in place so that it's really just not about you. And if you think about it as being about them and not about you, you stop trying to be right. You stop trying to prove your point, mm-hmm. right? And instead, you start trying to like bring people in, right? To collaborate, to listen, to move things forward with people as opposed. Now you don't have a room full of enemies. You got a coalition of the willing and you're all trying to get down and do something together. It's funny because in some ways it feels like uh, counterintuitive to how our leaders are styled. Like you were talking about earlier, like you look at the people folks hold up as like the pinnacle of leadership and you don't often hear it being not about you. If in fact, like in it often feels like it is about you, you know, like and and so I think one thing that came up for me in this is like say for folks that don't have a coach yet and they don't have someone to like unearth these things, 
are there a couple things people can do to just have a self, a level of self-awareness, you know, to like, what are those questions you can ask yourself as a leader to have a gut check with yourself, you know, to take one step closer to, to listening more and speaking less, especially when all of the inputs tell us we, and sometimes it's like negative pressure. Sometimes it's not even ego. Sometimes it's like that, that, um, imposter syndrome version of you as a leader that's telling you like, I have to know it and I have to do it and I have to direct it and I have to create it because if I don't, then they'll see that I'm not actually a leader. So sometimes it's ego and sometimes it's, it's self-sabotage or, or imposter syndrome that's like governing this. But if you have a couple of gut checks or like ways to just trigger reflection in ourselves, I'd be curious about what some of those are after you've seen like so many clients. Yeah, absolutely. It's the blind spots too, right? Like the higher you get in positional authority, the less people around you that are willing to be honest. And those blind spots can get pretty, they get pretty dark. They get big. You got a lot of them. And you don't know, you might be rolling through a room thinking you're just bossing out and everybody around you might be like, what? You know, like, what is this? Who is this person? What are they doing? I think the very first thing that I like to ask leaders to do, and I often will do this when we first start working together, is have them do that self-reflection and ask themselves a few questions Mm -hmm. around, like, how do I think people perceive me? Mm. Like, what do I think? Like, if I wasn't in the room, what do I think people might say about me? Um, Like, how do I think that I am showing up consistently? And once you have that initial list, this is where the hard part comes in. And I know not everybody will do this. You got to test it. It's basically like your hypothesis sheet. Mm-hmm. You got to start finding like, who are the people that you can go and just ask for direct feedback, right? They won't be honest with you maybe at first. The more you do it, they'll start. They'll get comfortable. Um, even a partner, a friend, mm-hmm. ask anybody, right? You've got your list written down. Now go ask others and just get a sense. Like, how are people like viewing you? What is that? What does that look like? That step is hard. I realize. Uh, do it anyway. Just do it anyway. It's just mm-hmm. it's worth it. Um, all those kind of feedback loops. Uh, I think the other thing that I always ask leaders whenever they tell me they're making a hard stance on something, the return to office debate has been hilarious. Hilarious. I have so I many thoughts. <laughs> Same. Like <laughs> I basically want to tell everybody to like y'all are doing it wrong. Like or just keep doing what you're doing. Just you know, do a better, like, I mean, what is this debate you're having? But I asked him, like, what are you trying to achieve? What's the outcome? Like, what, what do you yeah. want? What's the so what here? What's the so what? Yeah. What do you want? And so even when a leader is thinking about community, if you are a leader right now, you are looking around thinking about like, what do you want? What, what do you want? What are you trying to get to? Okay. Is the approach you're taking getting you closer or further away from that thing that you want? That mm-hmm. part. Right. Because yeah. the way you're talking to people, if you're if you're that person who's sitting around saying, I don't know what's wrong with this team. Like, I just feel like they never understand what's going on. They seem to not understand the mission. I feel like I have to constantly get involved. Like, why don't they get it? I don't know why they're not executing right. If this is happening in your head, take a beat. Take a beat. Oh. <laughs> pull up that mirror and have a little conversation with yourself and say, hmm, what is it that I want? What am I trying to achieve? What might I be doing mm-hmm. that is getting in the way of this team being able to be on this team with me, right? Because clearly you are not communicating effectively. And if you think that it's about them, you're wrong. 
and you're not going to solve that problem. But you're probably going to fire a bunch of people and hire a whole bunch of new people. And then you're going to do it again because mm-hmm. that's fun. Yeah. Or stop for a minute. How are you contributing to this? What is happening in the way you're communicating? Do you understand the people that you are talking about? Do you know what they want? Do you know why? What is the why? Mm-hmm. Right? Because I promise you, they're not all idiots. No. Easy to say. I love it. Oh, I'm incompetent idiots. We've all said, look, everybody said that in their head at least once or twice. Okay, we're human, right? Like that happens. But we also know that that's not really true. Mm-hmm. It's not really true, right? So I think as a leader, you really got to question your own BS. You need to ask yourself these questions, even if you don't like the answer. The answers you don't like are the answers that you need to do better and suck less. Like, period. That's a bar. <laughs> Karina, um, I want to ask something quickly about this. So fantastic practical advice here. And I hear you say the word like as leaders or leaders a lot. And to share like a, a quick story from my past, I once remember this um, this person on my team coming up to me and saying, Hannah, you you talk a lot about leaders and leadership and like, it's kind of intimidating. Like, I don't really think of myself as a leader and like, I don't think my team does or like, you know, the ICs on our team that don't manage anyone. And I was really shook because I was like, whoa, this person also managed a team of like 10 people. So I'm thinking this dude should be seeing himself as a leader. He's like, no, no, leadership is like, that's like, you know, that's like the CEO of the company. And I said, huh, you know, this is really interesting because I think everybody is a leader first and most importantly of ourselves. And that is the most critical thing to master before we think of even not leading someone else, but let's say asking them to follow us right to your point. And so this moment for me was this like huge unlock that I've been using this language that might actually be totally alienating people on my team. When really what I was trying to say is like, Think about how you're showing up for yourself first and then your people. And so I'm wondering for for others on the show that might have a similar sort of reaction to the word leader, like, ooh, that's not me or that doesn't fit or that's like a, you know, like insert, like, uh, you know, very, uh, very like sort of charismatic CEO here. Um, What is your tip for thinking about yourself as a leader, even though you might not actually like quote unquote, be there yet in terms of how we define it. I love this. I love this question. I love this prompt so much. Um, yes. I also hear, I, I, I hear this often. I remember feeling it for myself. Like, so love this. I think before I'm going to give a different word that I've been using lately, but before I say that, I will say, um, for me, leadership has never been a title Mm. and it's always been like, it's like a role that anyone can step into at any given time. And maybe some of this comes from my military, um, service because, you know, for, for us, like leadership wasn't about rank. It was like, who has the best skills in this moment? Like who is the right. And anyone could step into, it's like a magic trick, right? Like now you're a leader. Now you're not. Um, but, but it took them, none of us saw ourselves that way. Right. Like we did, it was a process. It's the same kind of thing. You're like, Oh, I'm this lowly soldier. I can't be, you know, so it's real. We've all feel it. Still feel it today. Um, I've been leaning on a different word for a few years now that has helped me to kind of broaden the message. Um, and that's multiply, mm. which is really what I think is what leadership kind of comes down to. You are trying to multiply 
the efforts of a collective towards a single mission, goal, objective, purpose, right? And if you think about how you're multiplying others around you, it's less about being a leader because that's everybody. Everybody can do it. Everybody should do it. That's how you're better together. And so maybe we need to change the words a bit and, and change the definition. I also think we can claim back the word leader. We can start talking about it more as a role that anyone can step in and out of at any time in a moment. It's not a job title, mm. right? It's, it, it's a role. But we probably do need to add some additional language, too, so it's more accessible, right, so that those people don't feel intimidated and they realize, like, everything that I have said today mm. is for everybody. It's for everyone. And it will improve your relationships, your personal and professional. I don't care what your job title is. I don't care what you do. You know, whatever it is, these are useful. And I would hate for a word to be, like, the barrier to entry for, like, new ways of thinking and new learning. So think about being a multiplier, like, whether you're, you know, uh, an engineer on a team of like 10 other engineers or you're the CEO of a company, like how are you multiplying all of the goodness and talent and skills and ambition of the people that are around you so that you can accomplish or achieve something big, right? This, this bigger thing that you can't do on your own. It's a great prompt. It's actually a really good reminder, something that I'm going to, I'm going to keep thinking about how we, how we change the frame on that part of the conversation. Yeah, it's interesting, Hannah. Like, even for me, like, I just had a huge aha moment from both your question and from Karina's response. Like, in navigating this whole, I'm not the founder and CEO of my own company, but I'm working with other founders every day. And like, well, what am I doing? And how am I having impact? And I think instead of focusing so much at, at, on like not being in this role I got so familiar with in this very linear form of, le of leading that sometimes comes from creating something that wasn't there before and now enlisting people and doing it, it still is very like directional. And I think this multiplier idea also comes with like no forced direction. Like it's almost like a 360. When you think of something multiplying, it's like, boom, like it's like there's there's an expression that can go in so many different directions. And I think that was just like a huge unlock for me. And I hope that resonates with folks listening because it just, it's just like an idea. Like if you keep your idea to yourself, that it never gets out and no one is impacted by it. But like people will, it's just like a remix of a song. Like a remix is for it to go in another direction for people to still appreciate it maybe and find more extensions of it. And so I just... I don't know. I feel like I'm waxing poetic right now, but like that, that was a really big unlock for me, even thinking about navigating the moment I'm in now where there's still a huge opportunity for me to be a leader, but it is very much like a multiplier. Yes. Actually, I would say in the role that you're in now, um, the reach, like the, uh, of like how that you can impact others probably pretty huge. So yeah. like, I mean, yeah. the, you know, I think that's exciting. I love yeah. that. I, I've been transitioning some of my work over these past few years into systems and thinking how not just to help unlock a leader, but then realizing that a lot of our systems are designed to incentivize 
for shitty managers and shitty leaders to exist, basically. So like, oh, I'm doing all this work, but these systems keep like taking it back, you know. Um, though in trying to now develop and design companies and ways of working that will incentivize these things that we're talking about, these things that we think are so important, these behaviors, like um, that kind of work for me has been like the ultimate multiplying moment um, of realizing that you build this, you know, if you build systems, if culture follows structure, right? So if you design the structures inside companies for the kind of culture and behaviors that you want to see thriving, then the multiplication, I mean, just it's off the charts, right? You're now it, you're, you don't even know where it's happening anymore. You're not even seeing half of the things that can happen, right? They're happening in every single pocket of the company. And everybody is now getting these tools. And everybody is now being able to step in now these moments and multiply. And then maybe even feel ownership of that system to continue to evolve it and improve it with time, right? It's It's been exciting, challenging, humbling work, which is always important to have. Um But I do think that the concept of multiplying and multiplying others is one that should get more noise. Should get more noise. Yeah. I love it. I think, I think we might have a show title right there. Multiplier. (laughs) Love it. We're talking about leadership and, and, and how you show up a leader and what the impact of that can be. And I want to actually invite us to take a turn into our, record scratch moment, because I think it is what happens when leaders don't realize their multiplier effect or do it in the wrong ways or don't listen and don't empower others. Mm -hmm. And that is um, just the reality that we are, according to Scientific American and CNN and even the New York Times, we are in the hottest July ever, like just ever. And I just think it's insane that we're getting text messages. I'm in New York City, so we're getting Con Ed is telling us like, don't move because it's going to be hot. And we're not having like, why is Biden or whoever, like, why are we not getting like a, like we've gone too far kind of moment? Like what's up with this? I'm, I'm curious your thoughts and yours hand too about just the craziness of us not being in alarm or outrage over this reality. I, I literally has I have been so infuriated with the fact that the like this is happening. Everybody feels it. This is not, you know, like and we're talking about like the Barbie and Oppenheimer, like, you know, or like the next like Transformer movie or um oh, just like insane. I'm like, why is this not what everyone is talking about nonstop until we do something about it? It's just it is literally the definition of like insanity. This just keeps happening and we just cannot seem to have, we're not having a conversation. It's ridiculous. I, <laughs> it's infuriating. <laughs> All of our leaders are letting us down in this moment right now. And not only can. are we not having the conversation, but we're actually still at the point where we're trying to convince some people that this is actually real when it clearly is our reality. And like to layer on top of this, I mean, you both are feeling this right now in this moment that we're recording in for those listening later, like in New York city, but this has been going on in equatorial regions for a long time now. And we haven't been talking about that. So like people are being impacted all over, like 
our our food chain is getting disrupted. Like it's this is this is very very serious, and yet we're still trying to like convince people that it's real. I yeah. just uh, I mean, like personally, to kind of respond to your prompt, Sheree, like I've always thought that if I w- wasn't doing the type of work that I'm currently doing, I would go work in environment. That's like the the only other thing that I feel like super passionate about. And maybe I still will. Actually, I hope I still will. Like, um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an avid environmentalist. I always have been. I've been like the person that's like, you know, taking my roommates recycling out of the garbage and like trying to plant plants to eat and and all this kind of stuff for for years. And it's just it's not enough to do it on a on a single human mm-hmm. scale. And so to the topic of like multiplying recently that we were talking about, I'm like, hmm you know, where, where do I, where do I go next to like, take this, this mindset and multiply it. And I feel like that surely must be questions that other individuals are having in their heads right now. Like, this is so important that like, maybe I should shift my career and like do something about it. I love that so much. And also, yes, Han, um, when you're ready, remember, like, don't wait for the future. Remember, time, the yep. whole part of the conversation. That part. Just that part. Mm-hmm. Roll that back real fast. I love that. I love that. I hear you. I actually, that's been part of my reflection recently when I was saying earlier, like, I'm rethinking, like, these talents that I have, like, all of our, all of us have, like, gifts and skills. Every human does. Like, am I applying them? Um, in the right way for the right reasons and the right causes and, um, you know, or am I doing it in one in service of one thing and missing, uh, what was that movie recently with the asteroid coming and don't look up, right. And and like, as long as I look over here, it's all good. I'm not going to look up at this, but what if you did, what if we did, what if this was a thing that we decided like, this is, (laughs) this is pretty serious. And if we multiply, all the humans inside of this earth, like there's no way we can't solve this. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that's a great prompt. Also, Hannah, I'm, I'm here for this. So whenever you're ready. <laughs> I, love I love this. No, this is really, I'm, I feel like we got tricked Han. It feels like the whole episode actually was a coaching session with Karina for us. <laughs> and like the point was at the end for Han to know that she has to go start a climate org like now like that's 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 what the show was actually about. And what was your coaching takeaway, Sheree? Ooh, what's my co- <laughs> to listen more? <laughs> yes, say less. Listen more. Say less. You say know, less. I had a feeling this would happen. Like having worked with Karina now for many years, um, she is one of my absolute favorite people to work with, as you can all see now for all the listeners on the show why I had a feeling that this might turn into a bit of a coaching session and I hope that it wasn't just for us but for everybody listening because there were so many incredible takeaways that you gave us Karina thank you so much oh thank thank you you for having me it's um I I love I love it because for me I get something out of every single conversation that I have I learned a lot today too and uh, feel a bit multiplied so I'm excited about you know the future and I'm excited about this climate org so you know just just saying you know (laughs) 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 but this was fantastic um it was a great conversation so thank you both thank you so much thank you Karina, you've been so incredible. I am just, you know, you know someone and then like 
you get like the next level. Mm. That was that was it for me. That was today's show. Like Han talks about you all of the time. And it just was wonderful to spend almost an hour just like hearing your brain talk about everything from like sorry polar bears to like what it means to actually like build <laughs> people up. Um and I'm just excited to continue to get to know you. Um, but also even for myself as I'm trying to figure out like this moment in my life where part of part of what I'm doing is like trying to create multipliers and and just and to support founders. You've given me a lot to like think about and and I hope everyone listening feels that way too. I want to make sure people can find you and follow your work. So I'm gonna turn over to Han to share your details and make sure the good people know where you are. Absolutely. I want you to all know where Karina is because like, I don't know about you, but that just felt like we got like free coaching for an hour. So if you want more of this, if you need more of this, if you know a team that could benefit from the work that Karina does, you should definitely check her out online on her website, unraveled.io, which is spelled U-N-R-A-V-E-L-E-D.io. You can check out Karina and her work and some case studies and all sorts of great things and find out how to contact her from there. And of course, um, if you love the show, if you find the show helpful, if you know someone in your life that you think would benefit from this show, please share it. Please leave a positive review. It does so much to help other people find this resource. And um, hit that subscribe button right down there and follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts and online at Got Real Pod. We will see you next week with another super exciting show. So stay tuned. Bye.